0: Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later this episode. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy Hump Day Um, on what's probably a short week for many people. I know for me it does not feel like Wednesday, but here we are halfway through the week. Um, Today, I want to talk about—we're actually going to close the player review series for the season, talk about Anthony Edwards in the final— Um, the final piece of that series, if you will. So his season as a whole, I'll give him a player letter grade based on his season. I want to focus mostly on his improvement down the stretch this year and and just how good he was really the second half of the season, but especially the final couple of weeks when the Wolves were something resembling full strength. How is his skill set going to mesh with, um, say, Malik Beasley when Malik Beasley returns next year? What were Anthony Edwards' best two-man lineups? And overall, what he did well and, and what he didn't this year? Um, and some of those things have been well-documented, but I want to dig into the numbers a little bit and, and uh, see what else we can discover. Um, I want to cover off the top here in just a minute the playoff games from um, from Tuesday night. There were three games. One of them was fantastic. The other two were not so much, so we'll spend most of the time talking about Portland, Denver here in just a minute. First, though, a quick reminder, is always here off the top, you can follow this podcast anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. That includes Apple as well as Google and Spotify, and of course, the all-new Odyssey app, that's Odyssey A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon. That's B Beacon, Two B's, Two E's, C K E N. Okay. Let's talk NBA playoff basketball. And as always, the road to the finals, the NBA playoffs coverage, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. At 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So there were there were three games on Tuesday. The, the first game that tipped off was Brooklyn-Boston, and that series is now over in five games. The Nets defeated the Boston Celtics 123-109 to and won that series four games to one. There's not a whole lot to say about this one. Um, Brooklyn took, uh, uh, I guess they were up, what, uh, eight points by halftime and pulled away in the fourth quarter um, and and put this series away. Obviously, a disappointing performance for the Celtics, a disappointing season for Boston, and obviously the Nets were were expected to win this series, but maybe not quite so easily. Um, so that series is now over. There's now two completed series, and both in the Eastern Conference, of course, Milwaukee swept Miami um, over the weekend. That that series was over extremely fast. Um, the other game, which was the final game that finished on on Tuesday, was Phoenix and the Lakers. Phoenix just completely dominated a Lakers team without Anthony Davis, Um The Suns outscored the Lakers 32 to 10 in the second quarter and took a 30 point lead by halftime. Um, they were up 66 to 36 at halftime. LA just could not score, uh, that for a team, they shot 34% from three, but only 34% from the field, 12 of 35 outside the arc, 34.3%, only 34.5% from the field. They were miserable inside the arc and, uh, just weren't able to get anything going, um, LeBron had 24.7 assists, five rebounds in just 32 minutes, um, because this thing was this thing was over quick. And the Lakers scoring opening, or excuse me, starting backcourt didn't score at all. Dennis Schroeder and Kentavious Caldwell Pope combined to shoot 0 of 10 from the field. Caldwell Pope only shot the ball once, so Schroeder was 0 of nine, 0 of four outside the arc, and uh, neither player scored. I saw this on Twitter, and, and I feel bad. I don't remember who it was. But they were saying that uh, the last instance they could find of a starting backcourt going scoreless in a playoff game was the Timberwolves, of course. In 2004, when Sam Cassell got hurt in the opening minute, um, or he, he was hurt coming into the game, but simply couldn't go with the back injury. And the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers back in 04 was the last time. And of course, he would have started with Trenton Hassel, who just sometimes didn't score. Um, that would have probably been the last time that a starting backcourt went scoreless in a playoff game, and that was 17 years ago. So uh, not great for the Lakers. Kuzma had 15 off the bench, but, I mean, nobody else did anything. Alex Crusoe shot 2 of 8 off the bench. Ben McLemore was 0 of 5 off the bench. So you look at another pair of guards. I mean, really, you look at the overall backcourt for the Lakers and, you know, playing a little bit loose with that term, if you want to include Wes Matthews, he would be the only one that that really scored. Um, I mean, I guess I guess uh, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker had a had a solid game, 11 points, 11 rebounds, four of nine shooting. But Alex Caruso, Ben McLemore, Wes Matthews, Dennis Schroeder, Contavious Caldwell Pope, that group of five combined to shoot three of 28 from the field. Three of 28, that's 10.7% if you're scoring at home. And that's not going to get the job done. No matter who else is on your team, if it's LeBron James, (laughs) Andre Drummond, um, you know, I mean, I guess that's really it because there was no, uh, Montrezl Harrell got a chance to play in this game, but he only played 12 minutes after getting uh, not so much playing time the last couple of games. But remember, no Anthony Davis, and and this was no problem for the Suns. They won by 30 and will now have a chance to close the series out back in Phoenix, later this week. Um, but the best game of the night which I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about was the Portland Trail Blazers and Denver Nuggets. That was a double overtime thriller. The the Nuggets were up big early. They were up 13 points after the first quarter. The Blazers pushed back, made this thing close, three points uh, one possession game at halftime. And then the Blazers won the third quarter too. And remember this game's in Denver, the series is tied 2-2. Denver is expected, you know, they're supposed to be the favorites. They are the favorites in the series. Going to the fourth quarter, Portland's got a lead. And Denver, Nikola Jokic specifically, had a great fourth quarter. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was solid. And and they pulled ahead late. Damian Lillard, though, I, like, I don't know how to describe what he did in this game other than, well, I mean, I guess he did set a playoff record with number of three-pointers made in a playoff game. So that's what he did. But it was the manner in which he got those threes. And, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, there's a pretty good chance you saw this or at the very least saw the highlights. But he hit, what was it? I think it was five threes in the final like two minutes of, of regulation in, in the first overtime. And at one point it was like four in a row where he just, I, I mean, was pulling up from from like 30 feet, step back jumpers. There was at least one. He was complaining for following almost all of them. There was one, and I think it was the game tying three at the end of the the first overtime he got whacked on the hand and it wasn't just a follow through as well. He was shooting it and he still drained the jumper is an unbelievable performance. And, um, I mean, 55 points for Dame on 24 shots, 12 of 17 outside the arc, nine of 10 at the line, 55 and 10 assists with six rebounds. He had three blocks in this game. Only one turnover. He had more blocks three times as many blocks as turnovers, and uh, finished this game as a as a plus two in a game they ended up losing by seven in, in double overtime, which was not his fault. Um, the the second overtime, the, the I mean, their downfall was everybody not named Damien Lillard. I mean, to to the Nuggets' credit, they finally were able to to try and trap Lillard in a couple different situations. Robert Covington missed a dunk when they were down three, and then next time down the court, still down three, C.J. McCollum stepped out of bounds after getting a pass from Lillard on a, on a really bad play on the left uh, left in the left corner. And the nuggets just came down and hit free throws and, and sealed the game Um, and ended up winning by seven. Obviously it was closer than that, but um, it was the non Lillard Blazers players that let them down. McCollum had 18 points on 22 shots in this game. Nurkic had 13 and 11, but his 13 came on 12 shots. Norman Powell scored 13 on 14 shots. Uh, Robert Covington was good. He had 19 and 11, made three threes in this game, shot 50% from the floor. From the floor. But um, th- this game was all about Damian Lillard. It was about Jokic and his 38, 11, and 9, four blocks. He was fantastic, of course. Michael Porter Jr., 26 points on 13 shots. Aaron Gordon was good. Monty Morris was very good off the bench for Denver, uh, th- although he did miss a free throw at the end of the first overtime that would have pushed it to four, but because it was he missed the free throw, Lillard was able to come down and hit the game time three Um, strategy wise. I'm not really sure what Denver was doing, why they weren't fouling down three, especially I I really think that's a, it depends on who you're playing against. And if you're playing Damian Lillard, you got to foul down three. Um, It it is a little bit scary when they're, when, you know, Dame's coming down court with, with momentum and he could pull the trigger at any point and the officials could give him a shooting foul, but you got to find a way to do it. And maybe it's 45 feet from the basket I just you, you let him beat you once well beat you by tying the game at the end of regulation you can't do it again and uh, I love Michael Malone but um that was a mistake for sure um but anyway fantastic game from Dame fantastic game period and now Denver's up 3-2 the series shifts back to Portland for game 6 as the Blazers will try and stay alive and of course game 7 will be back in Denver but um just a fantastic series. Uh, another really good one. The games on Wednesday uh, are going to be, I guess, kind of a mixed bag. You got Washington and Philly as the first game, and and uh, Washington won the last game to stay alive. So that series is 3-1. Atlanta and New York, which I've been disappointed in the way the Knicks have played. I thought this was going to be a much better series after game one. But that that is back at Madison Square Garden. Atlanta's up 3-1, so expect Tom, Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau's group to come out and, and fight in that one. Memphis at Utah. The Grizzlies try and stay alive, so you've got the first three games of the night are all series that are 3-1 and and could get closed out, Um, and in every situation, uh, well, I guess not the first game, but both the Knicks and the Jazz get a chance to stay alive on their home floor in uh, their respective game fives as Philadelphia is back home to try and close out the series against the Wizards, and then Dallas at the Clippers is the last game of the night. That series is, of course, tied 2-2. Dallas started by winning two games. The Clippers have won two at home, so it's been Certainly a roller coaster for, for those teams and their fan bases, but uh, Mavs at Clippers is the final game of the night on TNT, so a full slate of games on Wednesday, and then we get back to Denver, Portland, and, and Phoenix, LA on uh, the Lakers on Thursday, so the next couple of days are going to be a ton of fun, um, so stay tuned to what happens in those games, we'll talk about them here on the show as well, of course, and uh, that'll, be, that'll be part of Thursday's show. Okay, now it's time to talk about Anthony Edwards, and what better way to kick off the Anthony Edwards discussion than by talking about the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Of course, the Timberwolves haven't played in a couple of weeks, but Anthony Edwards had a fantastic close to the season, and I'm going gonna, gonna to fudge it a little bit. Instead of Player of the Week, and I'm sure Michelob Ultra won't mind, let's go Player of the Month for the Timberwolves. Player of the Month of May. This is roughly two weeks of games. We're going to go back to May 1st and look at his final eight games of the season. Anthony Edwards played with all of the joy, the happiness, the enjoyment that Michelob Walter would expect. He finished the season in eight games, averaging 27 points, five and a half rebounds, 4.8 assists. Listen to this. His 27 points per game came on 52.8% shooting from the floor, 40.6% shooting from beyond the arc. He was over 40% on eight three-point attempts per game down the stretch of this season. Got six free throw attempts per game and hit those at a 79.2% clip. Again, 27 points on 53% shooting and and almost 41% from beyond the arc over the final eight games of the season. I don't know what else to say other than Anthony Edwards played with joy. He played with happiness. He played with enjoyment. All the things you'd expect to see out of quite possibly this year's Rookie of the Year. Um, As Miklo Bolter reminds you, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game; It's the whole game. Anthony Edwards is... This week's Miklob Ultra Player of the Week slash Month. Okay, let's talk about Anthony Edwards' season. I'm going to sign a letter grade here at the end, but I want to start by going through how he closed the season, both from just a pure numbers standpoint, as well as some of the matchups, or excuse me, the lineups he played in that were most beneficial to, to for his production, um, and also an outlook for next year based on the rest of the Timberwolves. Uh, roster and, and what lineups we could see him be a part of, how the return of Malik Beasley could affect what what Edwards is able to do, and uh, and you know go from there. Um, so I just mentioned as part of the Miklo Ultra segment his crazy numbers over the fat over the final eight games of the season. The Wolves went um, three and five in those games, and Edwards was fantastic. We could back that up a little bit further and look at. I mean, we could I guess pick an arbitrary. Date like back when he dominated the Suns to the tune of 42 points back on March 18th. From that point forward, he was still fantastic. He averaged 23.3 points per game, um, 45% shooting, 34% outside the arc. All those numbers would play, and they would be probably rookie of the year in any other season. But the final two, three weeks of the season is when he was so impressive, and his shot selection improved. He wasn't simply—there was this stretch in April where he shot 10 or more threes— in more than half of the games, let's see, it, it was actually, it was six of 11 games in the month of April. I'm sorry, seven of 12 games in the month of April in a stretch, he attempted 10 or more threes. And he didn't do that in the final uh, the final 10 games of the season. He never shot more than nine threes in a game, which is obviously a very crude way to talk about shot selection. But not surprisingly, his free throw attempt rate also went up over the final 10 games versus the month of April because he, instead of simply, I mean, you you take, and I said this at the time, by the way, not to, not to pat myself on the back too hard, but I said this back in March and April, if he could take one or two of his pull up contested three point attempts per game and convert them into attempts at the rim, which inevitably is going to get him, you know, another call it two, three, four free throw attempts per game. He's going to be a more effective player for multiple reasons. One over the course of 10 games or so, or however, you know, whatever sample size, it's going to be more beneficial. You're going to have a higher success rate on quality shots at the rim. The possibility of getting fouled and shooting free throws at a nearly 80% clip is going to be better than an extra one or two pull-up contested three-point, you know, not ideal shot opportunities uh, from three-point range. Also, you're keeping the defense on your toes that much more. We've seen teams, we saw teams throughout the season begin to key their defenses in on Anthony Edwards and sag off of him, encouraging him to shoot threes. And I want to get into his catch and shoot versus pull-up numbers here in a moment and, and why his offensive numbers don't look better than they do, um, you know, for, for the season as a whole. But teams knew what, Edwards was more comfortable doing. Well, I don't even know that he was more comfortable shooting threes, but just what he was willing to do, right? He was willing to just kind of settle for long threes or contested threes or even semi-contested long threes. And so teams said, you know what, I'd rather he do that at 31, 32% than get to the rim where he, even though his numbers weren't great finishing at the rim, everybody knows that, uh, Edwards could finish at the rim. He could finish over people as Rui Hachimura found out. And, um, those numbers also improved over the course of the season. He got craftier. He got better and better at actually finishing at the rim. Um, and I I mean, teams didn't want to deal with that. They would have rather him shoot difficult three pointers than get in their, in their face at the rim, draw fouls and, 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 you know, score that way. So let's actually jump into the player profile first, and then we'll we'll close with the two-man lineups. So this is these numbers are over at B-Ball Index, and again, they do a fantastic job of compiling all the various proprietary advanced metrics from around the internet, as well as adding some of their own numbers. So I want to start with his, his play types. And I've talked about this in the past, but now we have the full body of work in front of us. We got the entire season to look at. And Anthony Edwards was phenomenal in several different play types in isolation. He was 90th percentile league-wide in points per possession, 0.97 points per possession, according to B-ball index. That's an A-minus. On cuts, which he didn't do that often, 96th percentile, 1.51 points per possession as a cutter. That, of course, grades out as an A. Dump-off points per possession, 1.42 points per possession, 93rd percentile. In handoff situations, 1.08 points per possession. That's 93rd percentile league-wide. He was fantastic in handoff situations, and I talked about this all season, so I'm not going to harp on it too much, but the the very—well, actually, one more one more number here. As a pick-and-roll ball handler, Anthony Edwards only scored 0.79 points per possession. That's 44th percentile, grades out as a C- league-wide when compared to his peers, according to B-ball index. So what's the difference here? A lot of times, when you're the pick-and-roll ball handler, you can get downhill in a similar way as you as you do off of handoff action. The difference is in pick and roll action. There's more decisions to make. There's more traffic to sift through, and there's typically some other things going on in the court. It's usually not, a, at least in the Wolves' offense, it's usually not a straight pick and roll. Um, you know where where everybody's now spaced the floor, and you can go one on one. There's other stuff going on. There's secondary action. There's shooters that are popping open. There's traffic in front of you with with the screener and his defender and your defender. And teams were starting to kind of shade towards Edwards and and sag off of the likes of Ricky Rubio and Josh Okogie to try and create just congest things. So now there's like two and a half defenders in your way. You're having to make a decision. And Anthony Edwards, as almost any rookie would, struggled a little bit with decision making in those scenarios. When the traffic's cleared out, if you're going downhill on a handoff and you can get your shoulders past your defender and the and the screener or the, the handoff players, uh, the players handing the ball off his defender, if your shoulder's past one or both of them, there's it's a straight line drive to the rim at that point. It becomes an isolation scenario where he was very good as well, but one with where you've already got the advantage. You've got to step on your defender because you're creating that momentum towards the rim by taking that handoff. Those are the situations in which Anthony Edwards flourished, 90th percentile in isolation, 93rd percentile in handoff situations in terms of points per possession. That's when Anthony Edwards was literally, quite literally, unstoppable. I mean, nobody stopped him consistently when he was getting downhill going to the basket. And those are the actions, the handoffs, the isolation sets, those opportunities are when he really thrived. Another area he, he struggled, and this surprised me a little bit, is in transition, he only averaged... He only put up 1.07 points per possession. That's 36th percentile. Um, that's just a D plus, according to B-ball index. The only thing I can figure there, and I'd have to go back and watch some of these opportunities, is, again, decision-making. I mean, if obviously, Edwards and anybody else, if they get wide open on a on a breakaway, if they jump a passing lane, they're going to score 99% of the time on a dunk or a layup. But in other transition opportunities, occasionally, Edwards would be getting the ball late from a teammate, or occasionally, he'd be unsure of what to do, whether it's it's you know, passing to a teammate who's spacing or going right to the basket or trying to avoid contact, which he did too often early in the season. Um, But he wasn't as effective in transition either. The other thing that could play into that is how often he shot three-pointers. So I want to transition into talking about that a little bit. Um, Overall this season, Anthony Edwards was A very average three-point shooter, actually a little bit below average. You look at his season as a whole, and he shot 32.9% from three. I guess I don't know what the league-wide average settled at this year, but it used to be 33%. It's been going up steadily. So he was below average from outside the arc in terms of just straight three-point percentage. B-Ball Index, though, dives into those numbers a little bit more and breaks it down into pull-up versus catch-and-shoot, above-the-break threes versus quarter threes, and then also what's the quality of those three-point shots he's taking. And this is my opinion as to why his advanced metrics were were kind of all over the board but mostly still negative for his rookie season as a whole related to his his offensive contributions. Um, According to B-Ball Index, 84% 84% of his three-point attempts were above the break. He only shot 16% of his threes from the corners. From the corners, he only shot 28%. So it's not like he was knocking them down, you know, at a, at a at a high vol- or a high clip from the corners either. But it's important to note that 84% of his threes came from above the break. And that makes sense for a player who's such a high usage player and he's taking so many shots. Of course that's going to be the case. Um, but also the Wolves weren't running any action to get him open corner threes like they do with Towns. Um, The other thing that's interesting is the catch-and-shoot versus pull-up three ratio. 51% of his three-point attempts were pull-up threes. Only 49% were catch-and-shoot. Again, it speaks to a player who's a higher-usage player. He's got the ball in his hands a lot. He likes to shoot pull-up threes, both off of ball screen action um, in isolation and also in transition as well. And in terms of raw percentage, he was actually better—he was better shooting catch-and-shoot threes, which isn't surprising. But in terms of league-wide, his percentile compared to his peers, he was better shooting pull-up threes. He was 33.5% in catch-and-shoot situations. That's only 43rd percentile. In pull-up situations, he was 32.9%, which is 62nd percentile, because that's, generally speaking, a, a less efficient shot. But it was something that Edwards was comfortable doing. He still did a little bit too much of it, and that drugged down, dragged down his overall impact on the offensive end of the floor. The most important metric here for me is three-point shot quality. Again, this is according to B-Ball Index. They take an overall measure of shot quality based on shot location on three-pointers, openness, and type of three-point attempt. So how open is he? Where is he shooting it from outside the arc? And his shot quality, according to B-Ball Index, on three-pointers only was a minus 0.78. So for context, that's 16th percentile. That's an F league wide because of again the high volume of threes he was shooting and then where he's shooting them from, how open is he. He didn't shoot very many open threes because teams were on him like a blanket. They were playing off of him a little in one on one situations to to try and bait him into threes, but those were going to be deeper threes because he's trying to to gain some space there. And teams knew as soon as he went to a shot motion to get into his space and contest those threes. They would rather do that, a semi contested, you know, 29 footer versus get Edwards downhill and go into the rim. And teams were able to bait him into enough of those to uh, to impact uh, or, or to drag down his effect on offense. Now, of course, late in the season is a different story than early in the season. So when I talk about his offensive impact not being positive, that's taking the entire body of work throughout the season. And we know that Anthony Edwards in December and January was very different than Anthony Edwards in March, April, and May. But you look at those advanced metrics, the LeBron metric, which was a proprietary B-ball index metric, has him as a positive offensive player, 87th percentile on offense, and that's the only one. The rest of them, including ESPN's Real Plus Minus, where he improved, he ended up 65th percentile among shooting guards. It was just a minus 0.2, but he was still a minus offensively. Raptor, same thing. He was 58th percentile. That's the 538 statistic. He was a minus 0.5 offensively. Um, I guess the the luck adjusted RAPM, the, the adjusted plus real plus minus uh, that had him slightly positive. But those numbers were all kind of hovering around zero because he was that bad early in the season. But he was so good late the season that he pulled those numbers up to a, a reasonable level and a full season of the March, April, May version of Anthony Edwards. That's an all star caliber player on offense. He was that good late in the year. And it's one of the reasons why I think you can make a very good case for him as rookie of the year because of that massive improvement and just how, frankly, dominant he was offensively late in the season. Um, The defensive metrics, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. There isn't much to say other than he's not a very good defender right now. Most 19, 20-year-olds aren't. Most players who played one season in college for a bad college program aren't good defenders. Um, The tools are still there. The awareness should be there. It, It appeared to improve as the season went on. The Wolves are just going to have to challenge him to to lock in defensively, and he's not the only player they've got that challenge with. So I don't want to harp too much on it, but he wasn't good defensively this year. Um, now, on the flip side, if we want to make this a rookie of the year conversation, his stiffest competition for rookie of the year, LaMelo Ball was even worse than he was defensively. So um, if that's the argument against him for rookie of the year, well, it shouldn't be because LaMelo was even worse defensively. So um, at any rate, he wasn't good defensively. He'll need to improve. He knows that, the Timberwolves know that, we all know that. Um, So I don't wanna spend too much time on that. Next though, I do wanna talk about two-man lineups who his best and worst two-man lineups were this season and what we can look forward to. What is this thing gonna look like when Malik Beasley's back and healthy next season? First of all, let's talk about Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time, hands down, it is fantastic. Tastes exactly like a candy bar. I've been talking about it now for something like a year and a half. There's nine delicious flavors to choose from. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint, brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. There's something for everyone. My favorite thing to do is to, is to pick and choose. You can uh, get a combination of three different flavors, six of each in an 18-bar box. Or if you haven't tried all the flavors... First of all, what are you waiting for? Second of all, get a mixed box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors so you can try them all. Most flavors have 70 grams of protein but only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and just 4 grams net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code lock 15 You'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's also talk about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's now in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline. You can also get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB as well as the NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game Head to the website. or Use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code Locked On. Again, that's promo code Locked On for a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, let's talk two man lineups with Anthony Edwards. This is fascinating to me. So, all of his two man lineups across the board, he only had one that was positive this season in terms of net rating, and that was with Jared Vanderbilt. And you could have given me, given me five guesses, and I don't think Jared Vader would have been one of my first five guesses. Now, I would have guessed a couple of his his ones that were close, right? So his second best was Carl, was with Carl the Towns, He was just a negative 0.3. Again, we can do the whole thing where early in the season, they barely played together. So when they did, it didn't really work that well. But late in the season, they were great. Um, you know, actually, we could throw a date. And I'll just do that real quick. Throw a date range on this, and uh, I guess just prove my point, which we all know, but... Uh, here we go. So date range, call it March to the end of the season. Um, Towns and Edwards together were a positive point six, so not outstanding, but certainly better than what it was early in the season. So you get rid of the date range, and uh, and it's still his second best, uh, second best uh, pairing this year in terms of two man uh, a, a minus point three. Um, Next after that, uh, Jordan McLaughlin, a minus 0.3. I maybe went to guess that one. But then it's Jade McDaniels, a minus 1.8. Um, so, I, you know, I would have guessed McDaniels. I, I would have guessed Towns. I don't know that I would have guessed Vanderbilt or McLaughlin for his best two-man lineups this year. But uh, that's notable. Um, remember, those guys started together quite a bit uh, for a stretch. And now late in the season, it was McDaniels starting at the four primarily and Vanderbilt started a couple games when McDaniels was out, uh, for personal reasons, attending a funeral. I think it was, he missed two, three games and Vanderbilt started then too. Um, but there is a pattern here. You look at his best parents, Vando towns, McDaniels defensive minded. Well, I wouldn't call towns defensive minded, but a solid defensive big man. Vanderbilt and McDaniel's are both defensive minded uh, fours, essentially, who could also play the three. In McDaniel's case, those guys had their best uh, were, were the best pairings for Edwards. You look at some of his worst pairings: um, Jake Layman, Jarrett Culver. Uh, neither of those, I guess, are surprising, and not because of Edwards. Juancho Hernan Gomez, Nas Reed, Jalen Noel. So minus defenders, in terms of minutes, those are the ones that are the, the, the more frequent pairings that weren't as good with Wancho, with Nas, with Jalen Noel. Those guys all struggle defensively. They're all, uh, you know, not high usage, but, but guys who with the ball, I mean, I, I guess in Nas and Noel's case, they are pretty high usage, but players that are going to stretch the floor offensively and not do a whole lot defensively, those pairings weren't as good for Anthony Edwards this year. Now, the ones in the middle of the pack are the Malik Beasley's, D'Angelo Russell's, Ricky Rubio's in terms of his his net rating. Um, those were all between a minus 4.3 in the case with Beasley and a minus 6.8 with Rubio. The Beasley one to me is is fascinating because the if you look at the roster right now and if there's no moves made, you look at next fall, the starting lineup's got to be D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, probably Jaden McDaniels, um, maybe Jared Vanderbilt, and Carl Anthony Towns. Assuming both Beasley and Edwards are on the roster together next year. And at this stage, it's fair to, to make that assumption. I think one of those guys is, is by default going to have to guard opposing threes. Edwards is the bigger player. He's got at this point, the higher defensive upside. It's probably him, but I mean, as we've seen through the course of the season, he didn't necessarily draw that many difficult defensive assignments and, and he wasn't great defensively. Um, Although, Which, by the way, this is another statistic over at B-Ball Index. They take defensive matchups by usage tier, and um, 21% of Edwards' possessions were spent guarding usage tier four players. So more than a fifth of his possessions were spent guarding players who are fourth on their team in in usage, well, not fourth on their team, fourth in in terms of usage overall, the fourth tier. Um, He only spent 10% of his time guarding usage tier one players this season and combined 20, uh, excuse me, 31% of his time guarding usage tiers two and three together. Uh, So, I mean, I could have told you that without looking at the numbers, but there to back it up, Edwards did not draw difficult defensive assignments this year. And for good reason, he wasn't good defensively. But he's going to have to pick some of those up if he's going to be on the court with poor defenders or poor to at best average defenders in Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell, both players who saw improvement this we saw improvement from this year in terms of their defensive what the, what they brought to the table defensively. But both players who have a track record of being bad on defense in Beasley and Russell. If you're going to play both of them with Anthony Edwards, somebody's got to step up and Edwards is the one with the highest upside defensively. So um, those pairings are going to be really interesting. What we saw with Edwards and Beasley together, their offensive rating actually wasn't great. I mean, it was fine. It was, it was what? Uh, Beasley and Edwards together was a 109.8. It was fifth in terms of Edwards' two-man pairings. Their defensive rating was predictably not great, uh, 114.1. Um, so one of those guys is going to have to step it up in a big way defensively. And, and the onus, in my mind, is on Edwards to, to just make a leap on that end of the floor. But th- watching that unfold is going to be really fascinating next year. And I do think there's a pattern there. As as I mentioned a minute ago, the better defensive players who are switchable like a Vanderbilt or McDaniels and and also still be low usage offensively are the players that allowed Edwards to be the most successful because he had more space to operate offensively or or at least had the ball in his hands in advantageous spots more often. And defensively, he had guys that could could switch and recover and help cover for him um, and allowed him to focus more on the offensive game. So I think we're going to see a lot of of Edwards at the two, you know, we saw this with no Beasley, right? We saw Edwards at the two, with McDaniels at the three, and a rotation of guys, whether it was Vanderbilt or Juancho Hernan or Nas at the four, I think we're going to see a lot more of that next year, and maybe there's always the possibility that Beasley turns into more of a six-man type player. I don't think he's going to be psyched about it, but that could be his role. It could be Rubio and Beasley come off the bench, and the Wolves instead start Vanderbilt at the four and McDaniels at the three. That lineup, the length of that lineup, and McDaniels providing enough low-usage spot-up shooting ability to help space the floor for Edwards. You've got your offense running through Russell and Edwards. You've got uh, the floor spaced a little bit with McDaniels. You've got length and defense with McDaniels and Vanderbilt. And of course, Cat could do everything. That might be the best starting lineup, depending on matchups. And and maybe there's a couple versions of this lineup, um, versions of the starters, depending on who the, the opponent is. But to me, that lineup is more synergistic than a lineup with both Beasley and Edwards. And that, of course, brings us to the question of whether or not Beasley could be traded this offseason. That's a conversation for another day. The answer is certainly maybe. Um, it's certainly on, on the table. It's in the realm within the realm of possibilities. I still don't think it's likely, um, but it's certainly possible. So we'll talk about that another day. But overall, for Anthony Edwards this year, if I'm going to give him a letter grade, I've got to give him... An A minus. Um, he was far better than I ever expected on offense. Just shockingly, shockingly uh, dominant. Really, I, I don't know that there's a better word for it. Down the stretch of the season, he was legitimately great on offense. All star caliber offensive player over the final call it six seven weeks of the season. Um, the the start of the season wasn't good. He was coming off the bench. His minutes were short. The team had a weird, not consistent rotation because of all the injuries and the and the COVID uh, illness and the suspension to Beasley. Eventually it was just a weird year. And it's easy to write off some of the early season struggles from, from a, a young rookie, a one and done player. I mean, it's completely understandable, but he was so good the second part of the season and even showed a little bit of life defensively that we can't dock him more than, you know, uh, a slight bit for his rookie season. And I've made the case for him as rookie of the year. I think Lamella ball is going to win it. And I understand why, but the improvement that Anthony Edwards showed over the latter part of the season was just incredible. And, uh, and he is on pace to be a superstar very quickly. I don't know if he'll be an all-star in year two. That's going to be tough to do in the Western Conference. Tough to do on a team where you're sharing the ball with Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley. But he's if he continues on this trajectory, year three would be the latest. He's going to be an all-star. I mean, he was that good on offense late in the season. Um, and also, not to, not to mention, I haven't talked about Chris Finch really at all today, playing in Chris Finch's system, more opportunities to get downhill, more opportunities to create within the offense, he's going to learn how to do that much quicker. That's only going to improve his game that much faster and, and and make his case for being a being considered a star and being considered in the all-star conversation here in short order. So fantastic season from Anthony Edwards, still a real possibility. He ends up with the rookie of the year award. Um, so we'll obviously stay, uh, stay in tune with that. OK, that's all we have for you on the show today. Uh, of course, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll talk about all the playoff action from Wednesday and back on Friday. Remember, this is a daily podcast Monday through Friday. Still lining up a couple of additional guests. We're going to flip into some draft coverage here soon to talk about which players the Wolves could look at if they do keep their pick in the top three. We're only a couple weeks away, I guess, about three weeks away from the draft lottery. And, and uh, you know, fingers crossed there's a 20 some or I guess to be Exact, to be precise. Twenty-seven point six percent percent chance the wolves do keep their pick. And so we'll we'll talk about some of the players that they would look at if they if they did stay in the top three here coming up soon. So um, if you're not already subscribed or following this podcast, please do so. You can do that anywhere you listen to podcasts, including of course Apple, Google, and Spotify, and of course the all new Odyssey app. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves. T-Wolves, don't forget the T and at B Beacon is my account. That's B Beacon Two B's, Two E's, C K E N. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The Locked On Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Today's show was brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, LeBron James was not enough for the LA Lakers on Tuesday night. Are they done? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts.